Let us pray. Almighty God, you are the only and supreme happiness of the soul of man, without the enjoyment of whom the soul must ever dwell in disquietude and trouble. Fix all the thoughts and affections of my soul upon you, who alone can satisfy all its desires, and give it a peace that passes all understanding. You shall be all in all, and in the sight of you and your glory be her great and endless happiness to all eternity. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the second book of Samuel, the 15th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Please rise. After this, Absalom acquired for himself a chariot, horses, and 50 men to run in front of him. Absalom would get up early and stand beside the road by the gatehouse. Absalom would call out to every man who had a legal issue to bring before the, to bring before the king for judgment, and he would say, What city are you from? The person would say, Your servant is from such and such of the tribes of Israel. Absalom would say to him, Your claims are good and valid, but there is no one from the king to listen to you. Then Absalom would say, I wish someone would make me a judge in the land. Then everyone who has a legal issue or needs a judgment could come to me, and I would give him justice. Whenever someone approached to bow down to him, he would reach out, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom acted this way to everyone of Israel who came to the king for judgment. In this way, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. After four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and fulfill my vow which I have made to the Lord, because when I was at Geshur in Aram, your servant vowed, If the Lord will really return me to Jerusalem, I will serve the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he set out and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent agents throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, When you hear the sound of a ram's horn, you are to say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem who had been invited went along with Absalom. They went innocently since they did not know what was going on. While he was offering sacrifices, Absalom summoned David's advisor Ahithophel of Gilo to come from Gilo, his hometown. The conspiracy gained strength as more and more people were going over to Absalom. A messenger came to David and said, The hearts of the men of Israel are following Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Get ready, we must flee or we will not escape from Absalom. Hurry up and go so that he does not come quickly. Overtake us and bring down disaster on us and strike the city with the edge of a sword. The officials of the king said to him, Here we are. We, your servants, will do everything our lord the king decides. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. This section of the Old Testament brings us a tale of two kings. It's one part family drama, one part political. This whole thing plays out almost like a Shakespearean history play, like Richard II, in which that king is deposed by a conspiracy and Henry IV is made king. The question in that play is a comparison between the right king and a good king, and how the two are not always the same. When Henry IV is crowned, one archbishop speaks out in that play. He speaks out against it. What subject can give sentence on his king? And who sits here that is not Richard's subject? Oh, forfended God that in a Christian climate, souls refined should show so heinous, black, obscene a deed. I speak to subjects, 
and the subject speaks. Stirred up by God thus boldly for his king, my lord of Hereford here, whom you call king, is a foul traitor to proud Hereford's king. And if you crown him, let me prophesy, the blood of English shall manure the ground. David was God's anointed. The king God chose. For Absalom to rise up against him is not only a sin against the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, but against the first, you shall have no other gods. Absalom made his own power greater than God's. And the people who followed him made his power and theirs greater than God's. Now, a civil war did result, and the blood of Israel manured the ground. So we see the important theme that we must bow to the king of peace. And here we compare Absalom, the false king, and the true king, who speaks truth, not flattery. Absalom set himself up gloriously, with a chariot, horses, and fifty men to run in front of him. And in such a state, looking for all the world like a king, he would meet people at the gate who were coming to the king for judgment. When he asked about their cases, he wouldn't care about the details. He would simply voice his support for them. Right and wrong mean little to him. He only flatters. And then such a glorious kingly figure would not allow anyone to bow down to him. No, he was too gracious for that, too humble. Instead, he would offer the far lowlier and far more familiar greeting of a kiss and an embrace. In this way, the people loved him. He was telling them what they wanted to hear. He was making them comfortable with him. The true king is not a flatterer. And we're talking about any true king here, but especially David and David's greater son, Jesus. As one writer put it, Jesus spent the entirety of his public ministry not flattering, but making a general nuisance of himself. And it didn't bother him too much to do so. Once when the disciples said to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard this saying? He answered them, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. Let them go. You see, this world in which we live wants everyone with everyone's preferred way of life and belief and philosophy to be equally valued and saved. And so this world will love those passages of Scripture that say things like, God our Savior wants all people to be saved. And now it's true, God does want all people to be saved. But not all will be saved. Those who reject him, who reject the true king, those who set themselves up or others as the kings they prefer, they will be uprooted. And it is better in general for the kingdom to respond to these troublesome mutineers, those who want to hear, the ch who want to, to hear what they want to hear, those who want to tear the church apart, to respond as Jesus did. Let them go. Just so, the decision of the true King David seemed at first to be a forfeit. Get ready, we must flee, or we will not escape from Absalom. 
the kingdom is taken by force, and Absalom sets up his rule, and King David flees in shame. This whole history would culminate in the battle in the forest of Ephraim. Absalom's hair would be caught in the branches of Terebinth tree, where Joab, one of David's commanders, would see him and run him through with three spears. And then ten other soldiers would surround Absalom and hack him with their swords until he died. When David heard the news of how his enemy was defeated, how the battle was ended, how the one who had rejected him had died, he didn't order a triumphant celebration in Jerusalem. But instead he wept and said, My son, Absalom, my son, my son. O Absalom, I wish I had died instead of you. O Absalom, my son, my son. And this too is the godly behavior of the true king of peace. God himself said, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from their way and live. And Jesus, echoing David's mournful cries of Absalom, Absalom, over his son, Jesus wept, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So you want salvation? Don't listen to the flattering lips of the false king who brings war. Listen to the truth of the king of peace. And some of what he says will be uncomfortable for you because he will point out your sin. And he won't allow any excuses to stand. He won't always judge in your favor. But he'll tell you clearly when you're wrong. In some cases, it may even seem as though he's not granting you an audience at all, but is leaving you outside the city gates, ignoring you. But this is the true king whom St. Peter recognized. Jesus asked him if he wanted to depart from him. And the apostle answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. His words give eternal life. Yes, he will pronounce the law that kills you, but he also proclaims the gospel, which brings you out to life. His life, the life that he won for you. See how this is done by the king of peace. How he is conspired against. False kings always have a large force because their conspiracy against the true king involves some of the greatest foes, the devil the whole world, and the sinful flesh of each and every human being. We are so ready always to rebel and set up a different king. Against Jesus, the forces of the devil, the Jewish rulers, and the Romans all conspired to put him to death. In the same way, the heart of each man conspires with Satan to remove Jesus from his throne there. Your heart is a war zone. And it's a throne that can have only one ruler. Will it be Jesus? Or will it be yourself? And if it is yourself, that is only your dead self, which is a slave of Satan. 
But that blessed king of truth uses the conspiracy itself to save you. He allowed himself to be overthrown. He rejected all the kingdoms of the world when they were offered to him by the devil. This king behaves in a way we don't expect a king to behave. As David remarked, and maybe he had his son Absalom in mind when he wrote this psalm, some rely on chariots and some on horses, but we rely on the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, save the king. Answer us in the day we call. Defeat in the kingdom of peace comes often. But that defeat itself is the road to victory. Or the means by which victory ultimately comes. It was, after all, when Jesus died on the cross that he defeated our enemies of sin and the power of the devil. And he rose from the dead to present his perfect victory and the glory that would be ours. St. Paul encourages us, for I conclude that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And ultimately this is because even when it seems like we are defeated, we're not because we are still with our King of Peace. Our Lord and Savior is still at our side and in our heart. And St. Paul said in the same chapter, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pretenders to the throne rise every day. But even when our king seems to be overthrown, he's already won the victory. Every day your sinful flesh rises to unseat Christ, but every day your king sends you his word and his sacraments to restore his life in you. Because God is in control, he will not let you fall. So we say what David's servants did. Here we are. We, your servants, will do everything our Lord the King decides. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.